Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest on this episode is Tyler Mayoras, the co-founder and CEO of Cool Beans. Tyler has spent more than 20 years in private equity investing and consulting focused on sustainable food and agriculture. After adopting a plant-based lifestyle and seeing the incredible health benefits, he wanted to continue helping to create a sustainable future of food and worked to create the 100% plant-based taste adventure that is Cool Beans. This is Tyler's second appearance on the podcast. He was previously a guest on episode 113. Our focus in this conversation was all about his new company, Cool Beans, and how it is building a new category based on the philosophy of using simple ingredients with minimal processing and with no oil and sugar added. We talk about formulating packaged foods that are full with flavor and nutrition, shifting the mainstream food media narrative from biotech to beans, the need for crop diversity in our food system, soil health, transforming the conventional American food culture, and lastly, what Tyler thinks the future of plant-based food will look like. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Tyler Mayoras, welcome back to the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thanks, Neil. It's a pleasure to be back and love everything that's going on and uh, what you've been doing. You've bringing a lot of positive vibe to the, the plant-based movement. Yeah, let's, you know, I've been, I've been more, I've been less positive lately, uh, not because I've lost my sense of optimism, but because I've been trying to uh, really look back and reflect on all the progress we've made over the last five to 10 years. And as I've said before, we definitely have made a lot of progress, but yet when you, you look at the accelerating pace of climate change and you look at the current, you know, stat, stats from the food industry and the meat and dairy industries, and you look at how much, how urgently we need to tackle some of the challenges with our food system, and and based on the science that I've learned, read, and understood, how we we don't have too much of a time horizon to tackle all of these problems. It's easy to feel like maybe not that we're not making progress, but maybe we are making it fast enough. So. Yeah. I've been peppering my typical enthusiasm with some amount of healthy dose of skepticism. Uh, and But, you know, eventually I come back to uh, you still have to work on something and you still have to put your energy into something. And I, and it's probably best if you use it for something positive than, than something yeah. negative. So, Well, I think that the, I think that the more 
you know, when you're speaking to people that are in the plant-based movement or are already gone plant-based, they're already kind of doing a big part of their share, if you will. It's, it's unfortunately the <clears throat> 97% of the rest of the population that we really need to dramatically cut down on meat and dairy. And we need to get the message out to them in a positive way so that they understand the impacts that are, are caused by animal agriculture. Yeah, and I almost have, st I, not to say I don't talk to people in the plan-based movement, it's mostly about strategy and tactics. Um, I think I think the folks who get it are a pretty small number, and that's also part of my uh, reason for being less than optimistic sometimes. Um, but it's really about bringing about a mass shift, right? And it has to happen at a at a systems and an industry level, it has to happen at a product level, it also has to happen at a consumer level. So we'll get into all of that. My, I first want to kind of get, take a bit of a step back. You've been on this podcast before. Uh, my, I guess my first question really is, um, how has the transition been from, uh, from being an investor and watching people uh, build and struggle building <laughs> exciting companies uh, to now transitioning into being an operator yourself? Well, it's been a lot of fun, but it definitely uh, is, it's been eye-opening as well. You, you learn, um, you, I've obviously known a lot of the things that people struggle with whether they're trying to grow a business in the past as an investor, but living it is is different. You know, it's, it's definitely more intense. So um, it's been fun and it's we had some challenges and some really positive things uh, along the way, but I wouldn't trade it. It's been great overall. And so how long have you now been since you took on the role of CEO at? Yeah, I actually formally went into the chair in October of last year. So it's been a little about eight months now, maybe. Yeah. So. So, so why cool beans? Why, why did you decide to take this step and why do you believe so uh, wholeheartedly uh, in the yeah. idea of this company. Yeah. And I'm invested in several different plant-based food companies, but I really, um, for both the health of the planet and for the health of people, I really think that whole food plant-based is, is where people need to go. And what I don't think a lot of people realize is that making that change, you can actually have a lot more flavor than you do with their traditional sad American diet, right? And that's that's kind of the eye-opening thing that happened with me is just the, the spices that you used bursting with flavor and it just kind of completely changed my palate. And so that in combination with the fact that we have to change the agricultural system, uh, I just thought that there was a huge impact that a company like Cool Beans could make, making beans cool again and really kind of bringing in a way to um, create good, healthy food with all, without all the processed stuff that a lot of the other alternative companies are, are, are using. And was it easy to formulate a product like this? Because um, you are kind of entering into a bit of a crowded category, I suppose. Um, and what makes you, what makes cool beans sort of stand out in the, in the yeah. frozen aisle? So when we went down this road of creating products, um, we gave some kind of general outline to the food scientists that we used um, and partnered with. And, and 
we said, look, we, we need it to be whole, simple ingredients. We need them to be minimally processed. We want no oil um, and no sugar added. And she's like, okay, well, that's, I like the challenge. I'll, I'll give it a try. And she was, you know, hesitant to be honest. She was, she was worried about the no oil thing and whatnot. Um, but then she came back with products that blew us away. She ended up um, coming back with things that far exceeded our expectations. What's great about our wraps that is very, very different is that if you cut them open, you actually see beans and veggies and whole grains spill out. We don't have mush. There's no mush in the middle. There's no, it's, there's no sauce really. It's spices that bring the flavor. And, and then it's our, the beans and millet and, or whole grains are cooked obviously, because you have to add water and cook those. Um, but the other items, the, the vegetables that have been added, whether it's cauliflower or teas or whatever, have just been, um, are not cooked, fully cooked yet. And they're flash frozen. All of it's flash frozen. And then it's cold rolled together mm. and, and flash frozen as a, as a unit. And so it's very minimally, minimally processed, but it's bursting with flavor. And that's really what's different about all, everything else in, on the market is really kind of like a stew inside of a wrap. Hmm. which we didn't want anything like that. That that definitely does help your product stand out. I mean, I also think that, you, you know, let's just look at what's been happening in in food in general. Uh, I, I know you got interested in plant-based originally while looking into the environmental impacts of the food system. Um, was that a big factor when when Cool Beans was launching to think about how providing a you know whole food plant-based gluten-free product uh, in a category that firstly has very few options like that, but also providing an option to consumers who um, are showing more interest in plant-based eating. But if you, if you generally survey, I would say, and the average consumer, most of them lately would if, they, if you ask them, are they trying more plant-based, they're probably going to point to uh, a meat alternative or a dairy alternative as the choice that they would signal as being their plant-based choice. How is that factored into your thinking where a lot of consumers are now re maybe replacing maybe a meal, a couple of meals a week with a meal to meat alternative? Where does Cool Beans come in? Who's the cons ideal consumer you're looking for? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So when we formulated this, there were a couple of things going on. One, I did come to this from uh, the standpoint of climate change. That's how I first got into um, becoming a vegan. And, and as well, I was doing a lot of research in, on soil health and um, the, the biodiversity, et cetera. So we came at this and we we've wanted to formulate something with a lot of plant diversity in it. And it had to revolve around beans because beans are one of the most incredible superfoods, both for our health and our gut health, but also for the soil health and the planet because they put nitrogen back into the soil and, and they're just one of the few um, plants that does that. And nitrogen is something that just so everybody knows, nitrogen is something that all plants need to grow. And nitrogen is typically created as a supplement and it's done with a very carbon intensive process to create liquid nitrogen out of the air, basically, and heating it up with fossil fuels. So we wanted to come at this 
centered around beans, which are great for humans and soil, and plant diversity. So if you looked at our first three ramps, there's 17 different plants that you would be getting from those. And, and we saw that as a way to foster diversity so that agricultural entities could plant a lot of different things. You know, obviously we have to get to be a big company, but the idea was to create markets for more plants than just the monoculture crops that so many people are into, wheat, peas, corn, soy, you know, et cetera. So um, that was our tenant. It turns out that, that that also had another benefit that we learned after we launched. I don't know if you've read Fiber Fuel by Will, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. So at any rate, he talks a lot about the plant diversity being a huge advantage for humans and that it's almost more important than being 100% plant-based is eating 30 different plants in a week. Well, if you take our first three wraps, you get 17 the two new flavors we're adding this summer, 26. So you can basically just eat our wraps each week and you'll get 26 different plants, almost 30 plants. And that's great for the biodiversity in your gut and getting the, that all those different types of fiber to the good bacteria in your gut. And is your goal going to be to stay true to this original uh, idea uh, of firstly, largely whole food, unprocessed, or minimally processed. I mean, everything is some amount of processing, depends how you define it. Um, and do you really see there's a, like who else is in, the, is there a category that you fall under? Who are you, when, when you're looking at your ideal cust, consumer, what what do you have in mind? Like, what are they looking for? Yeah, who are you trying question. to cater to? Yeah, so we, uh, I think we're kind of our own category right now, and we're trying to build a category. And ultimately, we want to have a family of whole food plant-based products. So one of the core tenets of our uh, of our our company is everything we do will be simple ingredients, minimally processed. So you're never going to see. And and people early on were asking us for partnerships to put fake meat and fake cheese in the product, and you're never going to see it. It's never going to happen. We're not going to put those products in. Um, and, and not that I don't think they have a place in the market. They absolutely do. And I love that they're bringing people over from flexitarians, et cetera. Um, but in our products, we're going to be focused on whole food plant-based. We want to be a way that people are, that are trying to eat this, this way, have something that's prepared in the grocery store to eat because right before we did this, there wasn't anything. And so that's a core, core tenant as we kind of move forward. We do want to build a family of products. So we want to build stuff for breakfast. We want to build things. Um, I don't know if we'll ever do bowls, um, but we may do some variant of it because I don't like the extra waste bowls create because it's all just more stuff you throw away inside. Um, but we're, you know, we're very waste focused and trying to minimize um, our foot, our footprint from that standpoint, as well as on the carbon on a carbon footprint standpoint, we're great. We, we just did a calculation using myemissions.com, which is a site where you can look at your diet and plug different things in and see what your emissions are based on those diets. We are 92% less emissions than a steak and cheese burrito and about 50% less emissions than a chicken and cheese burrito. So, yeah. Yeah, I love the foundations on which you've built this, the idea of crop diversity, the idea of uh minimally processed yet you provide it in a in a convenient package. I mean, as a as a consumer, I can tell you 
we need more stuff like this for sure. People want convenience. I mean, that's the reality. I wish I had all the time in the world. I don't, and I know most people don't. Um, but at the same time, a lot of frozen, ready-to-eat meals typically uh, are things that you probably can't eat too much of either because of the amount of preservatives and other processed ingredients that are included in it. So it's a, it's kind of a, an interesting and and I see why you well, your answer to the question was like you're kind of in a new category is because, uh, or in in some ways I can say you're you're maybe attempting to redefine a category uh, and elevate it to 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 a level where it is um, it is expected that you can eat something that is minimally processed without being afraid that you're going to lack taste or satisfaction, uh, which is a tall order. I mean I I was not the biggest fan of beans for the longest time, uh, and I think. The reason for that it really depends on how beans are are prepared and how they're seasoned and and I think that's a it's a huge win in in your products as well. I think uh, I know you yeah, kind of you launched compare, last. Sorry, go ahead. Across, if you compare across the the category, you know, most of our competitors will have fifteen to twenty five percent saturated fat. And we have zero saturated fat in our products. Tikka masala has a small amount, um, one gram, because of coconut, not not from anything um, else. But just the other two have zero, and and our new two skews have zero as well. So it's, I mean, that's a huge difference. And right now, in terms of um, cool beans, how's it going? I guess my my big question is: I know it's been early days, but uh, you you seem to have a lot more distribution than before. What are the early yeah. results? How are consumers liking it? Yeah, we're, we're very excited. So we've been on the market basically for a year. We started going on shelf in May of last year. Um, so it's, and we're now, we're in about 900, 850 locations across the country. Um, Sprouts being the largest, Wegmans being probably the second largest. We just went into Wegmans in the Northeast. Um, we're in a few other regional chains like Deerberg's in St. Louis area and High V in certain parts of the Midwest. Uh, and then several um, smaller regional chains like a Lunardi's and um, Market of Choice up in Portland area. Uh, and then we have several other new ones, PCC and um, Huckleberries that we're going into later, later in the summer. So we're slowly adding chains. The turns have been um, good. We're we're very excited um, to see people like it. That the the, the um, idea is resonating with people, and we have um, a, a growing number of stores that are turning at a very high level, um, and which is great. And so we just hope to our our big key right now is building brand awareness and getting trial, getting people to put it in their mouths. Because once they eat it and they realize, oh my God, this tastes great. And yet it's super healthy for me. That's crazy. How, how is that possible? Yeah, I can yeah. imagine a product like yours would have done so great if sampling was allowed in the time. Oh, oh it was safe to sample rather. Um, yeah. And so I guess you definitely, whenever that comes back, I know it's going to, is that going to be a big part of your focus in, in retail? Because I can see someone wanting to, wanting to try it but not believing in the messaging until they taste it <laughs> right yes and we do have a very high percentage of people it's like 80 to 90 percent of people that try it think it tastes good 
or great or whatever. Um, and so, yes, we definitely want to put it in people's mouths. Um, demoing has completely stopped. There's a few very small chains that are doing it, which is almost not worthwhile because it's really hard to, especially with a product like ours where you have to have a microwave come with you. So it's not a simple demoing situation. So the alternative is there are a couple of companies out there that do digital demoing. And so they have a target cohort of people across the country. Um, in one case, it's like 600,000 and in another it's smaller. Um, but they've kind of opted in to try products within their, whatever their food tribe is. And so, uh, and if they're in a location with one of the stores where, where we have product, then they can get a, get a coupon and try it. And hopefully um, some large percentage of those will buy again. And what is the um, sort of outlook for this year? What are you, what are you trying to, what would be the big milestones you're hoping to hit besides more brand awareness, which I can, I can totally see um, that driving more consumer interest. Um, frankly, you know, I, I still go back to people just, if they tasted it, I, I think they will be pleasantly surprised. I mean, I was the first time I tried it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We we need to get more demo out there. So I think 2022, there will be in-store demoing and, and we'll definitely participate in that. Um, we so our big goal we want to try to get to somewhere around 1500 stores by the end of the year um and so that's you know still a heavy lift we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get on it uh and we want to keep continuing to increase velocities so you know you start with power users and you get more and more power users within as they try it uh, and then we're adding these two new SKUs. and frankly one of the SKUs, sesame ginger i think has based on the way it's been received and um, everybody that's tasted it, that has potential to be our best-selling SKU. Right now, Tikka Masala is our best-selling, but that has the potential to be our best-selling. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We're excited about it. And do you consider yourself to sort of be part of a, sort of a new breed or a new wave of uh, companies in the plant-based space that are uh, perhaps catering to our, a consumer that wants to choose plant-based products that actually deliver on the promise of plant-based. And what I mean by the promise of plant-based is usually, if you ask most people, when they when they see a, pack, a product labeled plant-based, they're thinking perhaps first better for them. Um, perhaps they're thinking better for the planet. Um, right now, I would say some products deliver more on those promises than others. Uh, and, you know, and I think time will tell where the whole sector as a, in general will shake out, but it's pretty clear that you're sort of sitting kind of in the periphery of the, where all the, I wouldn't say all the excitement, where all the attention seems to be, uh, in the plant-based space, which as I said earlier, all the food tech driven, um, startups that are, you know, using fermentation technology, uh, processing plant proteins, and of course now, so very soon we're going to see cell-based or cell-cultivated uh, chicken on the market in in the U.S. Depending on regulatory approval. So, given all the hype and the excitement that at least the press seems to be reporting on, is all uh, largely about biotechnology to a certain extent, not beans. <laughs> uh, how do you is that is that a 
what what is your response to that? I mean, I think what yeah. you're trying to do is sort of different, but maybe a sign of things to come in the future as well. Yeah, I I definitely hope so, and we definitely think that more and more people are going to learn that over time. So there, there's a natural progression, right? You you first kind of hear about whether it's you whether you come over for animals for health or for climate, you you start moving toward a plant based, and and you, maybe not 100, percent but you flexitarian, you become reducitarian, whatever, and you start eating less meat and dairy. And oftentimes that the food tech companies are going to be the ones that bring you over. You're, you're going to, because it looks like what you were eating before, et cetera. And there's a huge place for those in the market going forward. Um, it's our job then at that point in time to convince people that, you know what? It doesn't have to look like a burger to taste great. What you don't realize is that spices create a whole lot more flavor than salt, sugar, and fat that we're all grown, grown up eating. And so it's our job to convince people to try it and, and find out, holy cow, this is bursting with flavor. And then there are different flavors than I expected. Um, that's, that's, that's our job. That's our, cha that's our challenge. And we think um, we're going to do a good job to try to spread that word and get people out there trying. And then I think there will be other companies doing it. But right now, everybody seems to be focused on that food tech side because it's, you know, it's the most like what people are used to, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Anybody that's gone 100% plant-based and starts cooking for themselves realizes, holy cow, these ingredients, if I just put these together with these spices, it tastes great. It doesn't look like a burger or anything like that. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's almost, I, I guess it leads me to my next um, thought really, which is um, you first got into this space thinking about climate change, thinking about the impact on the environment. Um, I know health and nutrition is also something you're deeply passionate about. What um, what do you see as being sort of your theory of of, uh, of change in the food system? Where does, uh, where would you, not that it has to be through the lens of cool beans, maybe you can contextualize it in the lens of cool beans, but the, the theory of change for the, 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 alternative meat companies and others are people are looking they love meat they love uh, cheese they want more of it give them something that tastes the same looks the same smells the same feels the same uh hopefully costs the same and they will make the switch and we will have all these environmental benefits and perhaps some health benefits also uh well yeah so i think that there's some critical things that are wrong with the agricultural system that need to be fixed. And um, one of those is diversity. We have gotten ourselves completely focused on monoculture crops. Uh, and we did that, you know, it's no one person's fault and it's, and it's not happened recently. It's happened since the 1930s. And it really stems back to initially the depression era and creating incentives for crops that would last a long time, corn, soybean, and wheat, um, in storage because they were afraid that the people were going to starve and we needed to focus on something. And so that's where it all started. And unintended consequences along the way has kind of created this system where we've got, you know, more and more meat and dairy, more and more corn, soybean, and, and, and uh, wheat. And so 
I believe that we really need to get more to biodiversity. That's why I don't, I don't really want to see all of it shift over to just pea protein and then we're just growing pea protein. You know, I mean, that's, that's not a solution either. We, we really need a very diverse um, set of crops that people are, and, and we need the USDA to get involved and try to incentive, create incentives for these different crops as well. Um, so that's one big thing. We need to get back to focusing on soil health, which is partly because of that diversity, but also partly a whole lot less chemicals. I mean, we've, you know, we've gotten to this point where we spray glyphosate on everything, including wheat and oats, and, and it, it's just crazy, and it's killing. Whether it causes cancer or not, I don't know. I mean, I, I trust the FDA. They tested it, and it probably doesn't. The problem is, at a minimum, it kills all the good bacteria in the soil, and it kills the good bacteria in your gut. And so your gut is going to be less, health, less healthy. You're going to be less, more susceptible to cancer and other illnesses. So we have to get away from massive spraying of things like glyphosate, um, which is why our products are GMO, all non-GMO. Uh, we, you know, we just want to stay away from that in particular, glyphosate in particular. Um, and, and then I think that we've got to reduce the focus on meat and dairy just in general. I, I love the fact that I just saw Australia for the first time had reported lower consumption of meat and dairy, or just meat maybe, um, which is huge. And we have to, in the US, we have to do that and all the industrialized countries. And then we have, uh, I'm, I'm hearing good things out of China that while they were growing their meat dramatically, there seems to be a growing awareness of plant-based and it, and it seems to be kind of hopefully stemming that tide. Um, and those things have to be fixed or, or we're doomed because we're never gonna fix climate change. Uh, without food coming along, because it's such a big piece of the puzzle. So you think of your product um, as uh, not necessarily just has to be about cool beans, but I I have to bring it back to cool beans because I I find that the space that you occupy, which is you know maybe maybe it's still early to really see the the long term impacts of what you're trying to do, but this idea of of looking at the food system, knowing that it's imperfect, knowing that industrial food production does involve some negative externalities, where they, no matter how well-meaning a company might be or a brand might be, the very nature of food production and distribution um, is extractive to a certain extent. Then the question becomes, well, if you cannot completely tear down the existing system and just build uh, a new one, which perhaps we should also try to do, but in the interim, well, how can we make it better? And I, and I partly sometimes when I think about um, the, the urgent need to get big meat and dairy companies, if you were to identify that as being the most urgent need, right, to get them to, to, uh, commit to phasing out the use of livestock or reducing emissions beyond just energy, but also connected to methane and NO2 and um, other emissions that we, 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 unless we get them to make a, to, to change, they aren't going to change. And just by getting them to launch a plant-based meat in itself doesn't guarantee change. Um, and I, and I look at, and I listen to what you're saying and it sounds like, well, we, you, you're not even trying to play their game necessarily. You're trying to create almost 
in early stages because of course as an early stage startup you don't have complete control over your supply chain um you you might want to do 100 things but you've got to take it one step at a time but what you're saying is that we can work within this industrialized system but maybe create a better one by encouraging crop diversity by encouraging um soil health and so did i capture that correctly which is almost like a yeah another no, way of looking at the food system almost yeah no absolutely i mean farmers at the end of the day will grow what makes them money what 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 puts food on their table and so uh we have to create products that use a wide diversity of products of plants so that they will grow diversity of plants i mean i love what's happened with cauliflower and the whole cauliflower movement suddenly you know it's 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 a huge crop um we need to do that with more and more crops to create crop diversity and and then farmers will follow and so that's definitely a big part of our ethos is to to do that and foster that and we hope a whole lot of other companies will follow yeah and it's almost if you can yeah if you can convince people to to eat the right kind of food because they love how it tastes, even if it doesn't necessarily uh, replicate anything that they're used to eating that is probably not good for them. Uh, it, it does. It's it's a harder proposition, right? The simpler thing is eat a burger. It's just yeah. made of plants, tastes the same, has salt, fat, and and. Well, I don't know if you know, but there are tens of thousands of edible plants, and yet the average American probably eats ten a week. And they're the same 10 every week, right? That's crazy. And all, all those plants are edible and some of them are really good for you for different reasons. I mean, they all have different things that they bring to the table. Why aren't we eating other ones? You know, why aren't people eating collard greens and, and things like that that are just incredibly nutritious? Cabbage, one of the most nutritious things you can have. How many times does somebody eat cabbage? I would guess they're Americans that never have eaten it. You know, it's crazy. And it's also partly cultural, right? It's a, it's a lot of what uh, we are just used to eating, what we consider to be, uh, in this country at least, what we consider to be quick, fast food is, uh, is, as you said earlier, stuff that typically falls under the standard American diet is mostly salt and fat and sugar. And, you you know, for example, even if you try to eat some most Asian cuisines will find an abundance of vegetables. Even if they do use meat, they still make it with a lot of vegetables. That's just not a thing over here. It's never been a thing uh, in this country, as far as I can remember. Um, or at it, least that's was, what the food industry has emerged. It was in the into. South. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was in the South, of course. especially the Southeast. Um, and, you know, a lot of the slaves basically created huge diversity of plants in their diet diet because that's what they could get. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't spread throughout the country. And, and, and frankly, I don't know. I mean, 200 years ago, it might have been. It might have been the average person was eating 30 different plants in a week. But uh, I'm, I'm sure now it's most are probably eating less than five. It's crazy. And, and so then the probably a big part. Of it. <laughs> yeah, potatoes for sure. But then I guess the question becomes, how do you make plants exciting? If if it's because it's not as simple as telling people don't eat beef, eat beans, because uh, most people won't know what to do with a can of beans. Um, and so there therein lies the challenge of what well, what if you can actually 
Oh, I'm literally playing into your marketing tra- tactic now by saying, That's what right. if you could actually make it cool to eat beans? I'll give um, it to you in a wrap style and it's got a lot of spices and it tastes great. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. But you know, I can see you've got a, you've got a steep hill to climb right now. Uh, you, I can see you can probably do really well within the health conscious consumer uh, base that is looking for better for you options that is looking for clean label options. I'm sure that's a easy uh, first category of consumer to get into, as well as obviously the vegans and vegetarians and perhaps other health conscious audiences, but the uh, consumer bases. But then the the challenge then is how do you get the you know the average Joe who's uh, who's afraid of beans or thinks they don't like beans to to give it a try. Yeah, that's that's definitely our challenge, and we've got to do a lot of marketing to do that. Um, the great news is every time we do that, and, and you know, I can just speak for myself with friends and um, family members and things like that that are not plant based, but they try it and they're like, oh, my God, these are great and, and start buying them all the time. And uh, that's what we need to do is just, again, put it in people's mouths and tell them how nutritious it is. And oh, by the way, taste that. Uh, then we, we think a lot of them will convert. So as an inv- as a former investor and current, you still do angel investing, I know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how did, um, how has your approach been? Because I think the reason I asked that is because the, the simpler bet may seem from an investor standpoint may seem, put the money into, uh, I'm going to try to oversimplify this question. It's not a simple question though. Uh, put the money into, the burger replacements and the cheese replacements and you know those are the ones that are probably going to achieve the widest amount of consumer adoption quick quick enough which will then lead to uh open up the path to exit for that company so as an investor probably a safer bet to bet on a company that you know is replacing most of the foods that people are used to eating maybe there's a bigger market out there and they get acquired or they go public. But what when you place a bet into, say, a whole food plant-based uh, product, even if it is convenient and it is frozen and, and it solves some problems for people, uh, you still have this added layer of uh, consumer education, brand awareness. Uh, you're kind of almost trying to bring about a cultural shift because a lot of your products tend, you know, are, are, are spiced uh, some people not even used to that uh, in this country. So, w- from an investor standpoint, what was your rationale? Because you were an investor in Cool Beans before you became yeah. the CEO. Um, I'd love to understand that because people often give um, investors they often oversimplify what investors do. Um, mm-hmm. So, what was your rationale for you know if you're going to put place a bet on something, why bet on something? that maybe has a longer, slower path to success than... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, we definitely looked at this as a long game. We're definitely playing you know, for the future on this. We, we knew that, and, and, and I would differ a little bit in what you're saying, what's safer. Um, if you would have looked at it five to 10 years ago, I would say meat alternative would have been safer. Right now, I would not want to introduce a meat alternative. It's just, I don't know how those people are going to get shelf space. It's just crazy unless they're going to just sell it through direct to consumer. There are so many of them out there. It's nuts. Um, but 
the analogy I would use is if you think about what happened in kind of the 80s and 90s, where you where you kind of converted away from Swanson's TV dinners to Healthy Choice to um, Lean Cuisine, and then from there they converted to Evol and some of these in a natural progression of cleaner and cleaner. I think we're going to see the same thing in plant based over time, and so we're playing the long game. You know, as Wayne Gretzky says, go where the puck is. You know pass to where they're going to be, not where they are right now. And that's what we're trying to do because we see, we see people once they get to plant-based, yep, it's great, but that's not what they're talking about in forks over knives. That's not what they're talking about in game changers. They're talking about whole food plant-based and I'm not there yet. So That's interesting. I love that you brought up the shelf space issue. I've, I've kind of brought that topic up in, in previous conversations lately. Uh, it is, um, it is a challenging question, right? Because uh, you look at the pace at which companies are launching products, uh, and then you look at the realities of retail. Uh, those things don't add up right now. Like, what, I wonder, is it just, and this is just my speculation here, is that do they not understand how the food industry works? <laughs> that, that, that you need, um, because in the end, they're going to have three or four brands that will stand out in each category. That's, just by virtue of one is this lack of space. Second, even if you and a lot of companies have tried e-commerce and direct to consumer, it's it's not an easy business to do either. Depending on the product, of course, and depending um, depending on who who how do you work out a shipping solution? But uh, especially for frozen, especially for frozen, which most of the re- replacement products tend to be at least on the meat side. So I do think it's. Um, where you're, and I'm glad you you kind of uh, sort of reframed my my view of things, which was uh, maybe it was true that a meat alternative was a safer bet a few years ago, but now when you look at what's happened just in the fi- last five years, you've got to start asking what is next as an investor or even as a as someone who's looking to to, to start a company or, or be an entrepreneur. Now, it, it may be that all of the, the meat alternative companies are banking on taking 50% shelf space from meat. And, and maybe that's where it's going to come from. Maybe they think that the meat case is going to become half plant-based. And I hope that it does. And maybe it will. Um, I'm not real bullish on that in the near term, but I hope it happens. But it's a big if. It is. It is a big if. And it's... Um... If you and maybe it's too early to say this, but if you look at all the data from the meat industry itself, they don't show any signs of slowing down meat production. So unless there's a drastic shift from a consumer standpoint and or a you know way more pressure from a policy standpoint, they really have no incentive to change their ways. They'd they'd rather as you're seeing now happen, you not only have uh, retailers launching private label brands, but you have, of course, the big meat and dairy companies themselves launching their own plant-based brands, which is just going to squeeze out the smaller guys in the in the in the long in the short term and probably in the longer term, depending on on your product and your your brand value that you've developed. So, okay. it's a fascinating space to look at. Do you have? Um, um, 
did you consciously choose not to invest in that space um, because you just didn't see the future there or were you? No, I, you know, um, I was pretty, I think I was late to the game on that, certainly on a Beyond Meat or Impossible. Um, so didn't have opportunities to invest in those. It was opportunities to invest in Just, which I like a lot. But at those point in time, I tend to be more of an earlier stage investor. And when the valuations, you know, get into the hundreds of millions, that's not really me. I, you know, I, there's, I don't, I don't do angel investing at that stage. So, um, so I really didn't do that. And, and I wouldn't at this point probably invest. In, I haven't invested in any of the newer meat alternatives. I've invested in some of the cheese alternatives. Usually they have to have a, a pretty strong angle that I think makes some sense, like Sparrow, which you know is seed-based versus nut-based. And I think that seeds are much more sustainable food than, um, than nuts. So, um, but other than that, I haven't, no. Yeah, so, you know, that's why I always like talking to you because you have a, you have a very... Uh, I would say clear-headed view of things in in the food system. I mean, part of it you're you're practical. Uh, at the same time, you don't necessarily uh, you're not willing necessarily to cut the corners. Like we've always had these conversations in the past of like what do we, what are we trying to achieve first and foremost? We got to be clear on that. If you wanna if you want people to be healthier, if you want um, you want to slow down the pace of climate change. We've got a, we, we we cannot replace one destructive system with another destructive system. You have to work on improving it, and not just marginal improvements. You've got to start thinking about um, radical improvements. And I think you know, in a sense, what your what e, cool beans is. A, and I'm using cool beans as an example of your your general sort of um, ethos around food. And I think of it as being. Uh, somewhat radical in the sense that you're not willing to to take the 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 tougher path to where you think people need to go and in in some ways pave that road also uh so that uh others can follow behind you and and you end up actually creating space for for an, a new way of eating and a whole new category of foods i do think that's pretty exciting yeah let's hope let's hope others follow behind and we do we do do that because i it's it would definitely be better for humans and better for the planet, for sure. So what what is your take on where things stand today uh, environmentally w- with our food system? This is, of course, we're still sort of in the midst of a pandemic, but hopefully the worst is behind us. We uh, It's made me question a lot of my assumptions of what I need to spend my time and energy on when it comes to food and fixing problems with the food system. And it was became even clearer to me that business as usual just will not do anymore. So what has the last year kind of done for you? Of course, you've taken on this whole new responsibility, and I'm sure that's 110% of your focus. But uh, where do you see the 2020s leading uh, with, with food and, and changes in our food system? Yeah, well, I think that um, what 2020 did was highlighted the risk of the animal agriculture industry. I mean, we all knew what the impact it had on climate and water. Uh, What I don't think a lot of us realized was 
how a pandemic can shut down the economy. Because I going before this, I, I certainly bought into the concept that we could have a bad pandemic and it would kill a lot of people. And we've seen Ebola and things like that. But I didn't really understand, and I doubt many people did, that what that that, that the whole idea of shutting the economy is massive. And that's the only way to distance people and to slow the spread. And boy, I don't know that we could afford to go through another one of these, uh, certainly in the next five years. And, and yet, every day we have an animal agriculture system that's focused on factory farming with billions and billions of animals, we run the risk of another one popping up uh, next year. So that, that's the, been the eye-opening experience from, pan, from COVID for me. And do you see any signs of that changing or slowing down? I, I don't see any. That's, that's going back to what I said in the beginning about my l- pessimism <clears throat> lately. Pessimism. Yeah. I, you know, I don't... It's, so I see huge signs of a movement toward plant-based diets as the age goes down. So, you know, it's somewhere around 3% of the population is identifying as vegan overall, 9.7 million or something like that. Um, But if you looked at millennials, it's closer to 6%. And if you looked at Gen Z, it's closer to 10%. So there's definitely a trend in the right direction. Um, The numbers that you mentioned are disturbing in that meat consumption or meat sales have gone up over the last year. I I think in part that's because of the price increases. Prices have gone up pretty dramatically in meat and dairy. Um, And so that may be fueling it to some degree. But, you know, if you see those trending in population that are identifying as plant-based, you would think that that's eventually going to start showing a sign of decrease in meat and dairy. And I'm hoping that that starts soon. Yeah, you have to be hopeful, right? And I think it's, what do you think is going to be the first, uh, I think of these as like three, if you want to build a better food system, you've got to have three pillars to build this new uh, structure. You need the the pillar of um, the food itself, which is all the food companies are doing, such as yours, and including the meat replacements and perhaps the cell-based and other options that exist in the market. The second pillar is you do need some amount of policy change, right? Without that, you're never going to... Right now, the incentives are for commodity crops. They're not for diverse crops. It's just it, the whole farming system is upside down at the moment. So that also needs to change. Without that, you cannot really have any hope to build the structure. And the third pillar is very connected to the first two is you've got consumers who have to change the way they eat. And... You can't have one without the other. So if consumers don't change, you have the op- you have the new products, the policy isn't going to work either. So or policy can't change without new products being on the market. So you kind of have to do all at once, but yet they have to perfectly work together. And it all has to happen within the next couple of decades. Yeah, no, I agree. It, uh, we really need Washington to get on board and... and- remove the subsidies for meat and dairy. I think that would be a huge first step. If you could just re- remove those 
so that they're priced the way they're supposed to be priced in the market as opposed to abnormally low, um, that would change consumption dramatically. Uh, so I think that's a that's a and and given that their goal is to reduce and mitigate climate change, you would think that that would fit very well with what they're trying to do, try to meet climate, uh, the Paris Climate Accord, et cetera. So I think that's a critical element. I think that the consumers are moving in the right direction. Uh, we definitely see a lot more movement from the, the food companies trying to introduce plant-based things. Um, they all seem to be looking kind of similar right now, but over time, I think people will diversify that a bit. But yeah, I, I agree. It's got to happen fast and, and we got we to move it forward quickly. And to what extent in the approach that you're taking with Cool Beans, are you thinking about where you source the ingredients? I know you said that uh, that diversity of crops is important, uh, non-GMO is important. Um, and again, you're still a, a, a small startup at this stage. Uh, so you probably do have some constraints uh, in terms of choosing suppliers. But what is the grand vision with Cool Beans? Like if you could, you know, if you could, achieve the the milestones and the goals that you've set for the next year or two or three, what would your ideal state be as a company? Where would you want to see it go? Yeah. I mean, ultimately we, we, all of our products currently are sourced within the U S except for some spices. So some of the spices that don't come from the U S um, and, and we would like that to continue. We don't have a huge, because we are a small startup. We're not, you know, sourcing a lot of those directly. Over time, we would like to. We'd love to help to foster regenerative farming, and uh, we'd like more of it to be organic. Um, but you know, that's that's going to take time for us to be in a in a position where we have enough volume to really move the meter and, and whatnot. But that's definitely our our long term goal, and to have you know again a diversity of these plants, so that we're fostering a farming system where we're engaging a lot of different farmers to convert over from something else to um, another plant that creates diversity, crop diversity. So in some ways, you're also trying to generate demand for this this whole market for um, more plants, really, versus just replace one monoculture with, with a maybe slightly better one. Correct. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, what would you like uh, listeners who have not tried one of your products, what, what would you like to tell them in terms of uh, why Cool Beans is not just the, the delicious option to choose, but why is it the right one? Ah, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I think that eating a diversity of plants is the best thing for your gut health. And, and first of all, beans, just beans and legumes in general. There's, you know, they're, they're not really called a superfood, but they are absolutely probably the number one superfood because their fiber only comes from plants. It doesn't come from animals, animal meat or dairy. Um, and fiber is critical for your gut. That is the only thing that creates short chain fatty acids with acids that basically um, fight cancer, fight disease, et cetera. It controls your whole immune system. And it also controls your mental health because all of your um, serotonin is made in the gut lining. So having a diversity of plants that includes a lot of fiber rich foods like leafy greens, like beans and legumes, 
um, nuts, et cetera, is critical for overall human health. And then the benefit is it's also critical for soil health because you need a diversity of plants to really, they all put a different nutrient into the soil, which helps the other plants. And so you're really feeding both systems by eating, um, you know, the cool beans wraps and the diversity of plants that we bring to the table. Well, Tyler, I love what you're doing. I think uh, not only are the wraps amazing, and I'm a fan, but uh, I also think your approach to solving some of our problems are, are kind of unique and, and different. And I and I think in time, as more people um, explore the the variety of options that exist in the plant kingdom, uh, thanks to products like yours, we may have a hope of actually finding a way to to build a better food system, even within the constraints of our current model. Um, at least maybe that might be, you know, if you want to be optimistic, that's probably the only way we can get there. So uh, I think you're you're spending time and energy on the right things. And I, and I appreciate what you're doing. And I, and I always enjoy talking to you. So, so thanks for being on today. Well, thanks very much, Neil. It's always a pleasure. And it's always a fun, interesting conversation with you. And I wish you all the best of luck with Plantega. I love what you're doing there. And thanks again for having me. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Neil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, all you have to do is subscribe to this show and rate and review it. To learn more about this podcast or my work, go to eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Thank you for listening. headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place the elites in charge say everything's fine stop noticing but you know better and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos my patriot supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company americans trust to prepare go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.